This is Mike Smith. We're going to start today's show by talking about the small businesses out there that have been hammered by this pandemic. A lot of them are just fighting to hang on and survive. And it especially includes Vancouver restaurants. A lot of them have gone under. Many of them are struggling to stay afloat. One thing that the city of Vancouver did to help these restaurants survive, expand outdoor patio seating for these restaurants, cut through the red tape, speed up the permitting process, allow these restaurants to expand onto some sidewalk space or some parking space in order to set up a patio, keep some customers coming in and have confidence that they'll be safe from this pandemic and help these restaurants survive. This is a good thing. This is a good program. A lot of municipalities have done it. So imagine my surprise when I'm checking out my social media feed on the weekend and I see a post from the Como Taparia restaurant and their struggles to get a patio and that they had been turned down for a patio application by the city. Are you kidding me? This is a restaurant that had been fighting to hang on and survive on the brink of shutting their doors. I'll tell you what, this was fascinating to see this play out on social media this weekend. Uh, The city now saying that this restaurant will get some help. Let's check in with the co-owner now of Como Taparia, Sean Layton. Sean, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Sean, where's your restaurant located? Uh, We're at Main and 7th uh, in Mount Pleasant. Okay, you guys, a, a taparia, I assume you guys do like Spanish-style tapa food? Yeah, yeah we're inspired by, um, we've spent a lot of time in Spain and Barcelona and Madrid, uh, especially. And uh, yeah, we're a small tapas bar that is, you know, it's really loud and lively and um, pretty pretty fun place that's all, you know, dedicated yeah. around everything, everything Spain. It sounds awesome. I've read a lot of fantastic reviews of your place. I've never been there myself, but I'll, I'll certainly want to pop in if you guys can hang on here, because I know this has been tough. Tell me about what happened to, to your patio application. Yeah, what it's was... been a crazy weekend. So, yeah. you know, we've been, up, we've been applying for a patio for almost two years uh, since we opened. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's been quite the process. And we knew that going into it. And, you know, as you said, we've been very busy from the start. And, you know, uh, the patio wasn't always a priority for us, and we've been happy to get a lot of accolades and been doing very well. And then COVID-19 hit, and, you know, we closed about a week before we were mandated to, uh, in good faith, and knowing that we would come back and fight hard after all of this. And, you know, when we heard that they were going to expedite patios, we were like, wow, this is finally our chance. Maybe we can finally get a patio. Um, we've been going back and forth with the city for, you know, as long as I said, and there's been just all this red tape about it being uh, strategic, right of way is it public property is it private property um all of these things and we never got a firm no or yes but we were working with them to try and make it happen and then when we got the application the province right away stamped it within two days saying that we had a patio through the province of bc that's good Uh, and then five days later we get an email from the city of vancouver saying you also have to apply through them and this was quite the document and was quite intimidating but we went through it And there was one part on it where there's a link and there's a city map. And this says if you're on public or private property. Now, this map wasn't very detailed. And it actually looks like we're on on that. It looks like we're on um, public property. So we applied as public property. um, And we did all the due diligence, um, did a proper application. And then on Friday night around 4 o'clock, we got a phone call at the restaurant (laughs) as we're busy. And a city um, person on the phone told us that we have been denied. Um, so my partner, Frankie, he took the phone call and was like, okay, well, how come? They're like, well, it's actually on private property. 
it's a strategic right of way, which we keep hearing. And okay, what is that? He's like, it's too complicated. I can't get into it. And you know what? We, I don't have time. He, literally, I, we don't have time to deal with it right now. And, wow. you know, we're literally about to reopen our restaurant. Um, we're all on CERB. We've been doing, working voluntarily for the last two months, two days a week, just trying to keep the place afloat, doing takeaway. And we get this from the city. It's a bit of a slap in the face. And we asked them when they could, when we could deal with it, what can we do? And the response was, well, it might be days, but it might be weeks until we get to your file. Weeks. Weeks. He said weeks. it could be days guys, or weeks. People are trying to hang on. We got restaurants going under and going bankrupt, and they're telling you you got to wait weeks. Now, I, I know you posted on, on social media on the weekend, Sean, and that's when, that's when I first saw this on the weekend on Twitter. Um, you, you announced you'd probably have to, what, shut your doors temporarily because of this? Well, yeah, it's like with the with the restrictions, which we've been, you know, we have a lot of respect for all the health restrictions and whatever um, Bonnie Henry tells us. Um, so, and and to just be inside, our space is fifty eight feet. It's you know fifteen hundred square feet. Um, we could only actually probably get about nineteen people in there with the distancing. And to do that, we're losing money. We're better just yeah. to stay closed, stay on the CERB. Luckily, our landlord has been very supportive, and we've been getting rent relief. But it's not worth it for us to try and open in that sense. And, you know, we had all our staff ready, calling our suppliers, ordering food, getting ready to prep. You know, let's open our patio. Let's I, bring I heard all you, our staff. I heard you bought a bunch. Did you, you spent some money on patio furniture, I hear, too. Yeah, we, we, when we got the provincial approval, and yeah. we had heard through friends of ours that sit in on some of these panels that we were uh, singled out by in one of these um, city talks about a place that should get a patio. So we went and bought furniture, you know getting ready to open and bring people back to work and create jobs and get off the, yeah, right. the ERB and get people working. Right. How much did you spend on the patio? How much did you spend overall getting ready to open your patio? Uh, uh, about three grand on, on patio furniture. And then, you know, we bought a bunch of food, um, started getting ready and started to think about how we're going to do this, you know, messaged all our staff, seeing who wants to come back. And, you know, we're all really excited. Yeah, and then you're told that you've been denied the patio. Okay, so when you went public with this on social media, I know things started happening quickly. So what's going on now? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we had no idea that um, the, the storm that was brewing, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, we got a lot of private messages from restaurateurs that are like, thank God someone finally spoke up. And, uh, you know, within half an hour, we got a phone call at the restaurant um, for an emergency meeting on Sunday morning from the city. And uh, next morning we went and uh, after like, you know, the whole day we got lots of support from our regulars and stuff. Right. And so the next morning we met um, city councilor Mike Weeb in the restaurant and he uh, basically verbally um, assured us that uh, we would have a fast tracked patio permit this week. And long term, we will have uh, application approved by the city for a patio. And uh, he also told us about their initiatives. They want to work with small businesses. They want to make it a lot easier. You know, they don't want the application to have to touch 13 hands before it gets stamped. Then, you know, like they don't want um, the small business to be intimidated by them. They want to work with them. So, you know what? It was a very positive meeting. Um, when we actually get that application, I'll be really happy. I'm glad to hear that that, that was the, the response from the city, Sean. I'm just wondering if if you had never spoke up if you had never gone public with this on social media if you had just rolled over and stayed silent and said okay well the city's denied our patio so i guess we just got to shut down i mean you know the only reason you the only reason you got this action was because you went public is that would that be fair to say uh hundred percent yeah um you know and and it was our last ditch effort like you know we're we we have no other option uh you know backs to the wall we're drowning over here 
and there's absolutely nothing we can do and we're trying you know and uh that that was yeah last ditch effort um we we're angry and we just like we had we had no say and we've tried to go to the city before many times over getting a patio and it, that's not a pleasant experience either so um you know wow. we had to and now looking forward i hope that uh this optimism and change from the city is coming Speaking to Sean Layton, he's the co-owner of the Como Taperia restaurant in Mount Pleasant. And Sean, how many people you got working for you over there? Uh, we have about 25 staff, and wow. uh, we are ready to bring back at least 10, ourselves included. Um, you know, and get off uh, off the CERB and start working, right. and you know, start um, bringing back the restaurant and the economy. And we have a huge, um, you know, big number of fans that are wanting to come out and support us. Yeah, right on. I mean, this this is what we've got to do. We've got to get people working again, and you need the city helping you. I just wonder how many other restaurants out there have been in the same boat as you. Uh, maybe they got turned down for a patio, but didn't have you know the courage or the moxie or the skill to, to make it a public issue on social media. I bet you there are some out there who are suffering. Oh, 100%. Like, I've yeah. got lots of messages already of people that have been denied that are fighting and are, are now hopefully retrying and um you know like a lot we're all the small businesses we all stick together and right. you know and i've i've heard the way it works with the big box like chains and stuff they've got people that do all the you know um deals that make it easy for them and for us it's not and i think if we want to you know keep thriving as a as a city with lots of cool small businesses and neighborhoods um we need to stick together and we need to speak up you mentioned uh you had a meeting with vancouver city councillor uh, Weeby, right? Weeb, right? Yep. Isn't this isn't this the guy who he owns a restaurant himself and he got a patio? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, I I don't know if that was a if he got preferential treatment or not. Um, at, at the end of the day, um, I think everybody should get a patio as long as they're yeah. like following following the rules. Just stamp it. Let's go. Like uh, it doesn't matter. It's just like give it to everybody. Let them try and survive. Like take a trip outside of Vancouver. Like we're in spain europe every year and you know you can have a patio pretty much anywhere and no one's breaking the rules we're not in this state of like like where you know everything is so heavily regulated no one can have any fun um and and right now with this uh you know pandemic and the recovery like anyone who has you know four four legs on the table should be able to have a patio as long as they follow some sort of rules sean are you open today uh, we are not. So we're taking this week off because we are waiting approval still. Um, and just to get the restaurant back going, we can't just flip the lights on. You know, it's like uh, it does yeah. take probably about four to five days to prep to re. We're all going to be really rusty, too. So okay. we have to retrain and we have to, you know, make sure everything's working. So we'll be open most likely uh, next week. Uh, we do have a market that uh, since um, uh, kind of transitioning in, we turn the space into a half market. So um, that'll be open later this week, most likely Thursday through Sunday. Um, all right. so you can just follow our social media and we'll keep you updated. Sean, good luck. I hope you get the patio. I hope it all works out. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Okay, Bye-bye. Sean Layton. He is the co-owner of Como Taparia Restaurant in Mount Pleasant. How many other restaurants out there, I wonder, have been turned down for a patio, but they haven't gone public with it and get the city to snap to attention as a result? I wonder. I wonder. What's with his red tape? Why would you do this to a restaurant and a small business trying to survive? Hey, welcome back. I just wonder how many restaurants out there are going through this red tape and BS here trying to get a patio. This is supposed to be an expedited process here. And here you have a restaurant desperate trying to keep its head above water. 
They've got to complain on social media before they get some action from the city. It's not good. I mean, I wonder how many other restaurants out there are going through the same thing, and yet they're suffering in silence as they try to hang on. Let's uh, check in with Vancouver City Councilor Sarah Kirby-Young. Councilor, thank you for coming on. Okay, we're trying to get her back on the line, but I know that she is familiar with this uh, this issue with this particular restaurant and had been intervening to try and uh, get some help. Here's the deal with this. This is a restaurant they've been trying for two years to get a patio uh, from their location in Mount Pleasant. Highly respected, well-reviewed small restaurant, the Como Taperia on Main Street. And this is a restaurant that when they heard that the city would go through an expedited process to get some patios going, cut through all that red tape. They were thrilled. They were so happy because they've been trying and fighting for two years to get this done. Now here they are, possibly facing shutting down permanently because of this pandemic. They'd laid off all their staff. All their staff are on CERB. Finally see some light at the end of the tunnel. And they get the runaround. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, come on. Taking a look at some of the photographs outside this restaurant, there's a huge sidewalk there. I mean, there's plenty of room there to put a restaurant in. The landlord was cool with it. The neighbors were cool with it. You know, let's get going here. Like, just approve this. Forget the red tape. Forget the rigmarole. Forget the runaround. What you're supposed to do is help these businesses survive. A lot of these patios are being approved on a temporary basis. And I think we got Councillor Kirby Young back. Councillor? Good morning. Hi, thanks, Mike. A lot, thanks a lot for coming on. I know you were uh, interested in this uh, case of Como Taperia. What do you think about this uh, this business's experience here with the city? Well, I, I think Como Taperia's experience really shows that um, this, how quickly the city moves and how effective we are in stripping out the red tape and uh, and getting support to these businesses so that they can operate and, and get revenue coming in the door is really critical because they literally will fail. Um, if we can't get that right. And I, I think with Combo Tapria having to close down for after being open just for one week, um, it really shows how close to the line these businesses are and the role that the city has to play in making sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, but why did they have to go public on social media to get some action? Well, and, and, and it shouldn't have to come to that. I was pretty active on the weekend. I reached out to Combo yes. Tapria and I spoke to Sean um, yesterday and reached out to staff and and flagged this one. Um, I will say I think that there was some confusion around the launch of the temporary patio program. Um, the first phase that was launched was for ones that were on public right away for a couple of, and then that was um, expected to be a two-day turnaround time. Um, and then the second phase, the staff were very clear when they presented, um, and they're trying to work as quickly as they can with ones that also um, would cover private space. Um, and there's some additional complexities there in terms of sign off from ownership or liability issues to address, but we still need to get through it really quickly and, and, and move fast. And I think staff are hearing that loud and clear because, you know, it shouldn't be a social media plea. It should be, just be right. something that we can get done effectively. Well, yeah, for sure. And imagine the disappointment with the, with these people, they setting up their patio and getting ready to reopen. And then they get a phone call from the city saying your application has been turned down with, with no explanation. Councillor, we, we've just got a minute left here, but do you know how many patio applications in the city have been rejected? Uh, I haven't heard um, of other ones. I know we had three that came in on private space, and I know staff are moving forward quickly on them. And I've asked staff if we can call a special meeting to implement bylaw changes that uh, need to happen in order to make this work um, so that they don't have to wait any longer. And I'm hopeful that yeah. uh, we'll be able to do that as quickly as we can. Okay, I was impressed at how quickly you responded to this business and uh, got some help for them on the weekend. Thank you very much for coming on to talk about it. Thanks for having me, Mike.
Okay, Sarah Kirby Young, Vancouver City Councilor. She was one of the first, I think, from the city that, to intervene in this case when they found out that this restaurant uh, was on the verge of shutting down because they were re- uh, rejected for a patio. Uh, she was one of the first councillors there to intervene and try and get something going. So as you heard now, there was a meeting on Sunday. They're now told that they will get their patio permit later this week. I'll keep an eye on that for you and just make sure that they do get their patio, but they should not have had to go through that and pleading and begging for help on social media just to get this city to help them out. All right, welcome back. Lots of focus on our public school system these days, especially with kids back in class, at least on a voluntary part-time basis. One of the eternal debates in our province is the public funding of private schools. Now, there are different levels of independent or private schools in our province uh, that receive public funding, and we spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on funding grants for private or independent schools. There are tens of thousands of kids who attend these schools as well. It's been going on for a long time, and for about the same amount of time, there has been a fight about it and whether public money should go to private or independent schools. It's uh, as I saw some of the debate going on in social media on this in the last few days as well. So let's talk about it right now. My guests are Patty Backus, a Georgia Strait education columnist, former chair of the Vancouver School District. Hi, Patty. Hi, Mike. Thanks for doing this. Also on the line is Blair King, who is an environmental writer and uh, very prominent on social media. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Blair, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, Patty, let me go to you first. Give me your take. You've, you've, you've had a position on this for a long time. I remember interviewing about this issue years ago, so, and we're still talking about it. So give me your take on public, public money going to private schools. Uh, well, my position is fairly straightforward, that public money should only go to public schools, and those are democratically governed public schools that if parents choose to opt out of the public system, uh, they can do that, but they should pay for that themselves or pay for it privately. And that our public tax dollars should not be subsidizing private schools. Um, and and the, all of the money that we're now putting into private schools could go a long way to improving our public school system. Okay, I think there's a there might be a perception out there when we say private schools, people think about these elite prep schools attended by the children of the uber rich but we're also talking about independent like independent schools and and faith-based schools like the catholic school system which is very large in our province and a lot of the kids who go to those schools patty are not rich people they're just people they're they're they have parents who want them to send them to uh, a catholic school for some my son went to a catholic school for a few years they're both in the in the public system now though what do you what do you say to that because not everybody's kids going to an independent school are rich people No, and I'm not suggesting they are at all, but my position is that if you want a religious education, that should not be publicly funded. We are a a secular state. Uh, We don't, I I, I don't like my tax dollars going to support schools that don't, for example, have to comply with human rights legislation. We've seen that as a problem in some Catholic schools where teachers have been lost their jobs over marrying someone who is divorced or being in a same-sex partnership. Uh, I believe that my tax dollars should not be supporting that, and yet they are. And I don't believe that uh, schools that don't operate democratically and transparently and are governed through the democratic process, as our public schools are, should be receiving any public money out from taxpayers. Um, 
if they don't have that kind of democratic oversight. Okay. And I don't, it doesn't matter to me if it's an elite private school that charges big tuition or a, a more humble, small religious school. Blair King, what do you say? Well, I suppose I, I take, uh, take exception to the word subsidizing, because realistically speaking, it's the other way around. Every school, every student in British Columbia is guaranteed access to education. And those schools that are, those independent private schools are not being subsidized. Rather, they are saving our public sector, our public uh, purse money because the parents are paying the bulk of the money for their education. These are individuals who would, if they, last year in the group one and group two schools, there were 84,000 plus students. If those students ended up in the public system, they would need to be paid for 100% by the public system. And the result would be a substantially greater cost. What we have in the public and independent school system is a the school the parents and religious organizations are subsidizing schooling and thus making more funds available for the rest while ensuring that the kids get an education that is consistent with the curriculum guide uh, presented by the BC government. Right. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, for, so my understanding is for a group one schools, which would include the, uh, the Catholic school system and other faith-based schools in, in BC that are publicly funded, they get a 50% grant for their kids, right? So essentially, essentially the parents are paying for half the cost of the education in these schools, correct? Well, uh, essentially, there's, as you say, group one and group two. In group yeah. one schools, they get 50%. Group 50%, two, they get right. 35%. A group one students, they get, their, they get, they become group one because they pay, they get the same amount per, the schools pay the same amount per student as the, uh, the school system would. Well, the group two, which are, are the ones where uh, the schools actually, spend a bit more per student than they would do in the public system. And yeah, in the group one schools, 50% of the cost is covered by the schools, by the, uh, right. the parents in the schools. And, but that's only the per student cost that ignores all the infrastructure and other costs that are, that are the big kick right now. There's 322 uh, school group one and group two schools in Surrey, we have 101 elementary schools and 20 secondary schools, and there's somewhere between 20 and 30 private schools. If Surrey were to try and absorb those 30 schools, they would have to find and build 30 schools in the Surrey district, which is already massively oversubscribed. And so that, that's the part we miss, is there's a huge infrastructure cost that's totally ignored by people who talk about this. Okay, Patty. That infra- okay, let's get Patty's take on that. Patty, go ahead. Well, a couple of points. One is you're neglecting to highlight the many, many tax uh, write-offs and deductions that go along with private schools. Some uh, religious schools give uh, tax receipts and consider the tuition payments as donations. Uh, some of the schools have, well, most of them have charitable foundations that are registered with the CRA, and some of them rack up uh, pretty hefty donations, which means that money is not going, that money is not taxed and going into the public treasury that could be supporting public services. Uh, they don't pay municipal property taxes. 
there's a whole range of tax deductions that uh, private schools and the parents who enroll their kids in them can take advantage of. The other argument that, that you know, suddenly if we don't fund public private schools, they're going to all be uh, coming back into the public system just doesn't hold up. We didn't have public funding for private schools prior to 1977. I attended a private school in Vancouver in the early 70s before they were funded. I'm that old. Um, there have been private schools. Ontario does not fund private schools, yet has more students enrolled in private schools than British Columbia does. Well over 100,000 students in Ontario go okay. to schools that get no funding. So that argument that, oh, it's saving the public system money, I think that's hogwash. I don't think that holds up. I think this is a subsidy for a private choice for those who want to opt out of public services. Okay, guys. Here's what just, I, yeah, go ahead, Blair, real just quick. To reply, just to reply here, that's... Yeah. In 1977, there were 152 schools, independent schools in British Columbia in total. And yeah, there were some. In, uh, nowadays, there's all, closer to 400. And the reality is, the vast majority of these schools are not for the rich. They are people who are spent. They are middle class people who spend yeah. hard earned money to get their uh, to pay for their schooling. You talk about foundation charitable foundations, and that's not exactly correct, because those funds are, the charitable foundations are money after tuition, if you, bo- if you donate to your church, and it, your church is associated with your school, then you do indeed get your uh, foundation, but that's not tuition fee, that's money anyone pays afterwards. Okay, uh, okay. Here's, what, here's what I'll do, I'll jump in there guys, just in the interest of time, we'll get our commercial break in. And then I want to open the phone line. So phone me up on this and tell me what you think. We're talking about public money going to private schools. My guest, Patty Backus, says that public money should only be spent on public schools. Uh, Blair King says this is actually a good deal for taxpayers because a lot of that money is subsidized, is, is being, a lot of those private schools are being subsidized by the parents of the, ki- of the kids. If they had to go into public schools, if the private schools were shut down, would cost taxpayers a lot more money. Lots of calls on this topic, like I knew there would be. Let's go right to them. Tony on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Tony. How's it going? Good. So we've had three kids in Catholic school ever since kindergarten, and at one point we had two kids in high school, which cost us about $12,000 a year. Okay? Now, in all those years that we were paying for the school... We never got a break on our taxes. We still paid full taxes. So you're still paying full school taxes, but you're not, you know, you're not getting the benefit of the public school, and it's costing you more to send the to the private school. But again, that's our choice. That's what we wanted. I'm not complaining about that. What I'm saying is, people don't understand. You're still paying for the private school, and that's what the lady from uh, Mrs. Back is you know, is is trying to, I don't know, create some sort of divide by saying that we're not paying for it. Well, we're paying more than we actually should be. If, if, you know, if you want, why not just give us a break for the credit that we're paying for the whole school and, and take us out of the taxes? Well, yeah, I mean, your taxes are going to pay for the education system, right? So, and here you are, you're paying for half your kids' school schooling in a, in a private system i don't know i mean it seems like patty Backus. let me go to you on this because i don't know that that seems to me like a good deal for taxpayers actually well it isn't really when you add up the numbers and you consider the economies of scale and and let's remind it's not just parents who pay taxes for that support schools everybody does so there's childless people older people my kids aren't in school i pay school taxes that support schools 
I don't want my money going to private schools that I don't know how they're operated. Um, but they don't necessarily save money. And that's been shown. And in, in if you look at the many, many tax deductions, uh, the nature of the selection that some of the schools do, not all of them, but some are very selective about who they accept. Um, that I don't think it's, you would actually say that they're saving the public system money. Um, Blair, parents you- make that choice. If I choose not to take the bus and drive my car, I don't expect to get a chunk of my taxes back that I can put toward my gas. Blair, what do you, what do you say to that? Blair. I would say she's simply wrong. Uh, the Cardis Research Group calculated in 2018-2019 that had these students gone full cost, it would have cost the government approximately $557 million more million to educate had they gone into the public system, ignoring the, as they said, the huge infrastructure costs. So yes, it absolutely saves money. They, certainly people get tax, some tax help, but we know for a fact they do not get deductions for any of their tuition. The tuition is entirely, there is no tax credit for that. They don't get, they, some schools do give credits for daycare, but that's because the schools provide before and after school care, and that okay. credit is available for anyone who pays someone to take care of their children. It's, called, it's a child care tax credit. So that's uh, the same as everyone else. So yes, okay. absolutely. It saves a tremendous amount of money to our, to our treasury. Let's go back to the phone lines. Patricia on the line in Burnaby. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I'd like to remember that um, all the parents of the children attending private schools are also taxpayers in every sense of the word. And it's their share or their portion of those taxes that are, using, are, are being used to subsidize those private school expenses. Right. Thank, thank you for that, Patricia. Let me squeeze in a couple more calls here while we, while we can. Terry on the line in New West. Hi, Terry. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Okay, um, I believe in total separation of church and state. So I resent my taxpayers' money being put into... Uh, Religious schools especially, um, forget that, just cancel that completely. If people want their kids to go to these private schools, take out a loan, work two jobs, it shouldn't be my taxpayer's money that's subsidizing their kids' education. That should be spent on public schools instead, that okay. tax money or health care or something that's uh, other than that. Okay, Blair, what do, you, what do you say to this caller? Well, as I said, the, the answer is it's actually the other way around. The, the parents subsidize the school system for the privilege of teaching their kids in a uh, private school. The school system would be paying substantially more. If you, if you have a religious argument against it, that's entirely fair. But let's not pretend that, the, that this money, that the numbers are different than what they are. They aren't subsidizing the schools. The schools are subsidizing the education system, and that's where this debate yeah. goes bad. You may, if you dislike religious schools because they're religious, that's fine. That's an argument you can make. But don't claim they're being subsidized because it's the other way around. Yeah, These right. schools subsidize the education system uh, through the costs incurred by the parents, the religious organizations, etc. Patty Bacchus. It's it's saying that that private schools are subsidizing public schools is absurd. It's a little like saying a a private gym is subsidizing the community center because I'm not using it. Um, We have a a good public system that has been proven. And I I wanted to throw in a a great Great. quote before we go off. uh, 30 30 seconds. 
Okay, Warren Buffett's solution. He said, it's easy to solve the problems of public education in America. All you have to do is outlaw private schools and assign every child to public school by lottery. Think about it. If every CEO, diplomat, congressman's child is randomly assigned to a public school, it would change immediately. And I think that's a really good point is that like, okay. people can leave the system if they're not happy. There's no pressure to improve the system. Let's, let's Guys, make the public system better for everyone. Thank you, Patty, and thank you, Blair, for a good conversation.